Thank you. Well, I'm Tim. Good morning. Uh, yeah, nice to see you. Um, it's going to be my pleasure this morning to be taking us through the next bit of John. Before I properly get started, uh, I want you to say hi to your neighbour, and I want you to come up with an answer to a simple question. Um, before I ask the question, I want to ask for a range of answers. Uh, you don't need to be holy. The answer doesn't need to involve Jesus or God. I want my gut, gut instinct reactions, okay? Let's be creative as a church with answers to this question. Uh, so, yeah, first things that come into your head. So turn to your neighbour, and the question is, what is love? Uh, what is love? And if you've never met your neighbour before, don't worry. Could be the start of something wonderful. Uh, so let's, uh, off we go. Off we go. What is love? I'm so upset. We do need to be hurry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay, I reckon, I reckon you've had enough time to answer that simple question. As, have I got any takers who are happy to sort of shout out an answer? And, you know, as I said, well, we, as Jesse pointed out, we do need to be holy, but, you know, don't feel that your answer reflects your holiness. You can say anything. Um, yeah, so any, any answers, just shout them out. Trust. Hmm? Trust, trust, good, yeah. Selflessness. Yeah, dedication to someone else. Is there someone down here? Nothing. <laughs> An action or a feeling. That's great. That's kind of, huh? Baby, don't hurt me. Yeah. Baby, don't hurt me. Um. Yeah. Brilliant. Um. <laughs> let me know if anything wonderful does start. I'd like to know that I had a hand in some, some wonderful flourishing of love. But um, for now, that's uh, let's just leave that for now. Uh, thank you for that. Today's passage has a lot to do with love. And so before looking at the passage, I wanted us to really think about the sorts of ways that we tend to think about love. Um, as we're going to see, I think that the love in the passage today, the love that Jesus talks about, is a little different from quite a lot of what we just said and a lot of the stuff that we would immediately jump to when we think about love. So without further ado, I'm going to read the passage. We're going to read from John 14, 15 to 31 this morning. We're going to read it from the NRSV which is a bit different to normal, but I think the translation is really good. So follow it on the screen if you haven't got that uh, with you. So that's John 14, 15 to 31. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, because he abides with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned, I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. They who have kept my commandments and keep them are those who love me, and those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, Those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, 
and we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not love, uh, does not, and does not keep my word. And the words that you hear are, uh, is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. I have said these things to you while I am still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father sends in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I am coming to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I am going to the Father, because the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you this before it occurs, so that when it does occur, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no power over me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father." Rise, let us be on our way. It's a great passage. I love the fact that Judas has to be called Judas, not Iscariot. I suggest that if you ever have a child and you call them Judas, you put that in as their middle name. Judas, not Iscariot. Let's just read verse 23 again. If we get it on the screen, that'd be great, actually, Sam. Verse 23 again. Yeah, so Jesus um, answered him. I don't think that's verse 23. Yeah, there we are. Jesus answered him. Those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. I don't know about you, but for me, one of the most fundamental facts about the love of God, something that I'm constantly holding on to, is the fact that God's love is unconditional. There is nowhere I can go where his love can't reach me. There's nothing I can do which will stop his love for me. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love is unconditional. Yet on the face of it, this passage seems to fly against that idea. It says, if you love me, then I will love you. Now don't worry, that's not what the passage is saying. God's love is unconditional in the way that it's familiar to us. However, this passage speaks of a different sense of the love that we have for God and that he has for us. And it's that sense that we're going to explore this morning. To do this, first we need to understand a little bit about diplomacy in the ancient Near East. Can I get an ooh? Ooh, yeah. Um, Also, just to say, if you find any of this particularly interesting, this is like, I love the ancient Near East. This is fascinating. And you want to read more? Can I recommend a book? Um, It's this book here. Um, It's by a guy called Levinson, not the guy of the inquiry, different Levinson. Um, really great book, just talking about um, the love of God. Uh, really brilliant book. Also, Jeremy recommended this to me. If Jeremy ever recommends you a book, I'd, I'd read it. That'd be, it's not in the Bible, but it should be, probably. Um, <laughs> yeah, so ask me for details afterwards. Yeah, diplomacy in the ancient Near East. So Jesus was, of course, a Jew, as were his disciples, and the events of the Bible took place around about the region of modern-day Israel, and that's the part of the world we're calling the Near East, And in the ancient Near East, different people groups defined their relation to one another through the use of treaties or agreements that we call covenants. So imagine for a second you're a Middle Eastern, a Near Eastern ruler, sort of, you know, picture yourself in whatever garb that comes to mind. And imagine you've just come across a new tribe on a neighboring tribe to where you are a ruler. In order to establish a relationship with this tribe and not one where you try to kill each other, you would write a covenant. This covenant would be a mutual agreement that stated the obligations for you 
and the tribe in this relationship. You, the ruler, might promise protection and food in time of famine. The poor tribe might promise themselves as soldiers if you were at war, or in normal circumstances, some amount of food to give to you as tribute or a tax. But what is particularly striking for today's passage is that oftentimes in ancient Near Eastern treaties, when two groups chose to enter a covenant relationship with one another, love was one of the conditions of the relationship. Imagine you're the ruler again. The tribe you are entering a relationship with might commit to loving you, serving as soldiers in wartime and giving you food, but also to love you. And love was often a condition in ancient Near Eastern covenants. What seems unlikely, however, is that if a tribe says they were to love the ruler, that they meant that romantically, or in the sense of some of the other senses we had before. I can't remember exactly what they were, but it doesn't seem to be that kind of love that we're talking about here. Nor is it necessarily that self-sacrificial love that we talk of when we think of Jesus, Jesus dying on a cross. It's something much less dramatic. This kind of love is best seen as faithfulness, covenant faithfulness. And when we say someone, is, someone in a covenant says, I will love you, what they're saying is, I will be faithful to this covenant. I choose to commit to this covenant. And this is the sense that love is going to take in this setting and also in today's passage. And it's not to say that this love can't be characterized by other senses too. I just think that this particular sense is key for our understanding of today's passage and actually just for our understanding of how we love God in general. Um, and the idea of love as covenant faithfulness is also key for our understanding of love in the Bible. Uh, God chooses to relate to us, his people, in terms of a covenant. In the Old Testament, that covenant is found in the first five books, and particularly Deuteronomy. He lays out the rules that the Jewish nation must stick to to relate to him, and he says what he will give in response. However, quick whistle-stop tour, it didn't work. The Old Covenant didn't work. God's people, the Jewish nation, could not keep their end. And therefore, their relationship with God suffered. God, though, had a plan to renew the covenant. And he sort of tells a little bit of this through this passage we're going to read now from Ezekiel, chapter 36, just two verses. A new heart I will give you, says God, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove from your body the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and make you follow my statutes and be careful to observe my ordinances. The covenant didn't work, but God had a plan, a plan to fix the relationship between himself and his people. So this morning, as we explore today's passage, we're going to look at it from this lens, this lens of covenant. We're going to be thinking about the relationship with God wants with us, what we bring to that relationship, and what God gives to it. So, back to the passage. What are our obligations in this covenant relationship? Jesus says, if we love him, we will obey his commandments. Our part of this relationship then is quite simple, but probably not straightforward. We need to love Jesus, and if we do so, we will obey his commandments. So we're going to consider these two elements in turn. Firstly, our love for Jesus. We need to love Jesus. Now, commanding someone to love you sounds a bit odd. Uh, if, I, you know, if I walked with someone on the street today and said, love me, I don't know what response I'd get. But it, it probably wouldn't be one of love. But that's because you can't command a feeling. But this love isn't a feeling, or isn't just a feeling. Jesus is urging us towards covenant faithfulness. He is commanding a, commanding a patient... A, 
I'll start that again. He is commanding a position of our will in which we choose to be faithful to him. This covenant love is central to Jesus' message. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when Jesus is asked what the most important commandment is, or the way to eternal life, depending on the gospel, he quotes from Deuteronomy, which is the old covenant. This comes within the old covenant. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. The most important thing for us to do as Christians is to love God wholeheartedly. And this commandment to love God with a heart, soul, and strength is found within the old covenant. This is a command to covenant faithfulness with heart, soul, and strength. This means that we need to be committed to our relationship with God. This isn't a love which we can fall in and out of. This love for God is one which we choose to pursue heart, soul, and strength through thick and thin. Whether we feel it or not, our love for God is not only a feeling, it also needs to be a conscious choice of our will. I'm getting married this summer. And uh, right now, I do feel very much in love. Oh. Um, but I know that that feeling of being in love is not what I'm committing to when I marry Laura. I know that there will be many periods of time when we don't feel that way. We're committing to love more like it's defined in this passage. We're committing to love that is faithfulness through thick and thin. That is why the vows say, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. The commitment to love within marriage is that of faithfulness in every season. Our love for God is the same. It must be rooted in commitment. We need to be resolutely faithful in our love of God. The second part of our end of this covenant relationship with God is obedience. If we love God, we will obey his commandments. We express our committed, faithful covenant love to Jesus through obedience. And John keeps on presenting us with the words and teachings of Jesus. We need to be obedient to this. If you want to know what Jesus tells you to do, it's in the Bible. We also need to be obedient to what we hear him saying to us. He's often speaking, and when we take the time to listen, he is speaking, and he wants to say things to us. So what is God saying to you at the moment? How can you be obedient to this? If we're loving Jesus, we need to be obedient to him. Mike Pilavachi, leader of the Soul Survivor Church in Watford, said this, that obedience is Jesus' love language. Obedience is Jesus' love language. This obedience isn't rooted in his wish to be divine dictator of all. It's rooted in his desire for our best. God, the creator, wants us to live well within the world he has made and is teaching us to do so. He wants us to be obedient because he loves us with a love which is unconditional. And before we move back onto God's end of, the, uh, of this covenant, I want to return to thinking about God's unconditional love. We do not need to love God before he will love us. He died for us before we did anything to make ourselves worthy of a relationship with him. This is love, that Jesus died for sinners, people who rejected him. God makes this way, the way for this relationship, out of his unconditional love. However, when we enter this relationship, there are things that we should do. We should be faithful to God and obedient to him. This doesn't make him love us more, and not doing so won't make him love us less. There is nothing we can do to make him love us more or less. But our response to this offer of a relationship does change the way that we can relate to him. 
Uh, my dad loves going on short walks with his camera, and he often loves it if me, my mum, and my sister would join him. When we walk with him, uh, that can mean standing and waiting for a really long time for him to take a picture, which is it's like pulling nails sometimes, but pulling teeth. Yeah, not quite the right saying. Anyway, <laughs> you get the picture. You get the picture. Um, what we're doing when we do that is we're showing that we want to enjoy our relationship with him. He would not love me more or less if I chose to go with him or not, but it does change the way I relate with him. It shows him that I want to spend time with him, that I want to know him. When we choose to love God and be obedient to him, we're choosing a deepened relationship. Not because he'll love us more for it, but because it's worth it. We'll be more intimate with him. In this covenant relationship, for it to be a relationship, we need to commit to it too. We need to take a step into it. So, let's move on to the other side of the relationship. What does Jesus say God commits to? And this is mind-blowing. And I've been struggling to like work out how can I express this in a way that properly gets it. But I think just the sheer number of things that God gives to us is incredible. First of all, he says that he will love us. That this God will be faithful to us, a people who are not faithful. He's made a covenant with us, and he is committed to that covenant love, so much that he sent his son to die for us. Secondly, he will send his Holy Spirit to be with us forever. As God promised through the prophet Ezekiel, this new spirit will enable us to be obedient. Isn't it remarkable that God asks for our love and obedience and then gives us the very thing that we need in order to do this? This is a relationship which we want to enter, but he makes the way for us to do that. Oopsie, almost knocked it over. The Holy Spirit enables us to love God. More than this, the word that John uses to name the Holy Spirit is the advocate. I find this a really helpful image. The Holy Spirit is like a lawyer, someone who comes alongside us and speaks on our behalf. However, I think we must be careful here. We must remember that the Holy Spirit is not our advocate in the sense that he says the things that we want him to say. No, the Holy Spirit is God's advocate given to us. He comes from the Father in the name of Jesus to speak truth. It's the spirit of truth. He's wise counsel, and he's wise counsel that comes to us, but it's not my wise counsel. It's God's wise counsel to me. We need to keep the Holy Spirit out of the box of fuzzy feelings and nice pictures. He is an encourager and a comforter, but he's also a teacher and a reminder of truth. And the truth is often hard to hear. So let's allow the Holy Spirit to be our advocate, and let's allow him to be God's advocate to us. So he promises to be faithful to us. He commits to covenant love. He gives us the Holy Spirit to empower us to commit to this relationship and to be our advocate. But there's more. He promises us exclusivity. This relationship is a special relationship between God and his people. The spirit he sends, this advocate, will not be received by the world because it neither sees him or knows him. Jesus later asks why Jesus is only going to reveal himself to his disciples and not to the world. And Jesus responds by stating that in terms of the covenant. He says it again, if you love me, then you'll obey my commandments. My Father will love you. The receipt of the Holy Spirit depends on our commitment to Jesus. It's part of the relationship with God. It's not that Jesus is, is not revealing himself to the world. He is, and he has done this through his life and death. 
He's doing it through us, through creation. But his intimate presence found in his spirit is reserved for those who choose relationship with him. When we commit to this relationship, God gives us his spirit. He also promises us life, as if this isn't already enough. Because I live, you also will live. Earlier in John's gospel, Jesus has said that he comes to give us life and life in all its fullness. Obviously, we're alive now. I, for one, am certainly breathing. But Jesus promises us more. A fullness of life. Life beyond death. If we enter this relationship, God promises us life. And he promises intimacy. He says that just as he is in the Father, we will be in him. And I have no idea what this means. I think this is completely baffling, apart from that it sounds pretty cool. When, um, when um, we look at the Gospels, we see the picture of intimacy between Jesus and the Father. It's a remarkable picture of intimacy. He seems to know exactly what God is doing, where he is, what he's saying all the time. Jesus is saying that that level of intimacy is open to us as well. Just as he is in the Father, we can be in him. Connected with this is the idea of not leaving us as orphans. In this relationship, we become children of our heavenly Father. And finally, he promises us peace. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. At the time Jesus said these words, Israel was in a time of peace, but peace secured by the sword. The Romans held their peace, the Pax Romana, through military power and bloodshed. Jesus' peace isn't provided like this, against the expectations of some of the Jews. Instead, it's given through his death and his resurrection. Although life is tough and ugly, we know that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he has defeated death. We know that the kingdom of God is at hand and that one day all suffering will cease. He offers us peace in the midst of all the mess. He doesn't offer us the absence of trouble, but he offers us the certain hope that the trouble has been defeated. There is victory. So this covenant relationship with God, for me, is almost unbelievable. If we commit ourselves faithfully to love and serve him, he says he will give us the Holy Spirit. He'll give us intimacy with himself. He'll give us peace. He will even give us life. It's unbelievable, but it's there. Jesus wants to meet with us and relate with us every day. It's the offer of a relationship like no other. And if you've never entered this relationship with Jesus, the offer stands open. God loves each of us, and he wants a relationship with us. He sent his son to die for us. We simply need to give him our yes. And if you think you want to make that commitment to Jesus today, then can I encourage you to come forward for prayer in a bit or speak to someone you know? We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to introduce you to our Jesus. As I finish today, I want to ask, how are you? Really, how are you? I, for one, am absolutely exhausted. The term has really taken its toll. But God is here. And he wants to move in us and through us. I really, in the worship, I love worshipping. If you, if you weren't aware, I absolutely love worshipping God. I was really, he was, he was here, he was moving. I think there's more he wants to do. I think there are two particular things that he wants to do this morning. Firstly, I think that he wants to reaffirm some of his promises to us. He wants to remind us that he's faithful to us. He's not going anywhere. He's faithful in sending his spirit to lead us, to teach us, to comfort us speak to us, for us. 
that he's faithful in giving us life. He's faithful in giving us peace. He has adopted us as his sons and daughters. I think he wants to reaffirm some of those promises to us this morning. But I also think he's inviting us to recommit or commit ourselves to this relationship. He wants to show us how good it is to live with him, to remind us of how marvelous it is. We just need to give him our yes. So where are you this morning? Are you tired, in need of a touch of heaven? Are you full of energy and raring for the next week? Do you need to commit again to this covenant relationship with our Father? In a minute, we're going to have a time of ministry. All that that means is that it'll be a chance for us to meet with God together in prayer. Uh, We're going to allow him to serve us and to speak to us and meet us. If you're tired today, if you need anything, then please come forward. As Hannah said, members of our home group are going to come and pray with you. The final day, uh, words of today's passage reads, rise, let us be on our way. So why don't we rise and let's move on to the next thing.